Sturm froze, then turned slowly to face the tall plainsman. Tannis could see the knight's face etched in sharp relief by the firelight, dark lines carved around the stern mouth. Although shorter in stature than Riverwind, the knight's air of nobility and the rigidity of his stance made the two appear almost equal. I am a knight of Salamnia, Sturm said. My word is my honor and my honor is my life. I gave my word, back in the inn, that I would protect you and your lady. If you choose to dispute my word, you dispute my honor, and therefore you insult me. I cannot allow that insult to remain between us. Sturm! Tannis was on his feet. Never taking his eyes from the plainsman, the knight raised his hand. Don't interfere, Tannis, Sturm said. Well, what will it be? Swords, knives, how do you barbarians fight? Riverwind's stoic expression did not change. He regarded the knight with intense, dark eyes. Then he spoke, choosing his words carefully. I did not mean to question your honor. I do not know men and their cities, and I tell you plainly, I am afraid. It is my fear that makes me speak thus. I have been afraid ever since the blue crystal staff was given to me. Most of all, I am afraid for Gold Moon. The plainsman looked over at the woman, his eyes reflecting the glowing fire. Without her, I die. How could I trust? His voice failed. The stoic mask cracked and crumbled from pain and weariness. His knees buckled, and he pitched forward. Sturm caught him. You couldn't, the knight said. I understand. You are tired, and you have been sick. He helped Tannis lay the plainsman at the back of the cave. Rest now. I will stand watch. The knight shoved aside the brush and, without saying another word, stepped outside into the rain. Gold Moon had listened to the altercation in silence. Now she moved their meager possessions to the back of the cave and knelt down by River Wind's side. He put his arm around her and held her close, burying his face in her silver-gold hair. The two settled in the shadows of the cave, wrapped in River Wind's fur cape. They were soon asleep, Gold Moon's head resting on her warrior's chest. Tannis breathed a sigh of relief and turned back to Raistlin. The mage had fallen into a fitful sleep. Sometimes he murmured strange words in the language of magic, his hand reaching out to touch his staff. Tannis glanced around at the others. Tasselhoff was sitting near the fire, sorting through his acquired objects. He sat cross-legged, the treasures on the cave floor in front of him. Tannis could make out glittering rings, a few unusual coins, a feather from the goat-sucker bird, pieces of twine, a bead necklace, a soap doll, and a whistle. One of the rings looked familiar. It was a ring of elven make, 
given Tanis a long time ago by someone he kept on the borders of his mind. It was a finely carved, delicate ring of golden, clinging ivy leaves. Tanis crept over to the kender, walking softly to keep from waking the others. Tanis? He tapped the kender on the shoulder and pointed. My ring. Is it? asked Tasselhoff, with wide-eyed innocence. Is this yours? I'm glad I found it. You must have dropped it at the inn. Tanis took the ring with a wry smile, then settled down next to the kender. Have you got a map of this area, Tass? The kender's eyes shone. A map? Yes, Tanis, of course. He swept up all his valuables, dumped them back into a pouch, and pulled a hand-carved wooden scroll case from another pouch. He drew forth a sheaf of maps. Tanis had seen the Kender's collection before, but it never failed to astonish him. There must have been a hundred drawn on everything from fine parchment to soft kid leather to a huge palmetto leaf. I thought you knew every tree personally around these parts, Tanis. Tasselhoff sorted through his maps, his eyes occasionally lingering on a favorite. The half-elf shook his head. I've lived here many years, he said. But let's face it, I don't know any of the dark and secret paths. You won't find many to haven. Tass pulled a map from his pile and smoothed it out on the cave floor. The Haven Road through Salas Vale is quickest, that's for certain. Tanis studied the map by the light of the dying campfire. You're right, he said. The road is not only quickest, it seems to be the only possible route for several miles ahead. Both south and north of us lie the Carolus Mountains. No passes there. Frowning. Tanis rolled up the map and handed it back. Which is exactly what the theocrat will figure. Tasselhoff yawned. Well, he said, putting the map back carefully into the case. It's a problem that will be solved by wiser heads than mine. I'm along for the fun. Tucking the case back into a pouch, the kender lay down on the cave floor drew his legs up beneath his chin, and was soon sleeping the peaceful sleep of small children and animals. Tanis looked at him with envy. Although aching with weariness, he couldn't relax enough for sleep. Most of the others had dropped off, all but the warrior watching over his brother. Tanis walked over to Caraman. Turn in, he whispered. I'll watch Raistlin. No, the big warrior said. Reaching out, he gently pulled a cloak up closer around his brother's shoulders. He might need me, but you've got to get some sleep. I will. Caraman grinned. Go get some sleep yourself, nursemaid. Your children are fine. Look, even the dwarf is out cold. I don't have to look, Tanis said. The theocrat can probably hear him snoring in solace. Well, my friend, 
This reunion was not much like we planned five years ago. What is? Caraman asked softly, glancing down at his brother. Tannis patted the man's arm, then lay down and rolled up in his own cloak and, at last, fell asleep. The night passed, slowly for those on watch, swiftly for those asleep. Caraman relieved Sturm. Tannis relieved Caraman. The storm continued unabated all night, the wind whipping the lake into a white-capped sea. Lightning branched through the darkness like flaming trees, thunder rumbled continually. The storm finally blew itself out by morning, and the half-elf watched day-dawn, gray and chill. The rain had ended, but storm clouds still hung low. No sun appeared in the sky. Tannis felt a growing sense of urgency. He could see no end to the storm clouds massing to the north. Autumn storms were rare, especially ones with this ferocity. The wind was bitter, too, and it seemed odd that the storm came out of the north when they generally swept east across the plains. Sensitive to the ways of nature, the strange weather upset Tannis nearly as much as Raistland's fallen stars. He felt a need to get going, even though it was early in the morning yet. He went inside to wake the others. The cave was chill and gloomy in the gray dawn, despite the crackling fire. Gold Moon and Tasselhoff were fixing breakfast. Riverwind stood in the back of the cave, shaking out Gold Moon's fur cloak. Tannis glanced at him. The plainsman had been about to say something to Gold Moon as Tannis entered, but fell silent, contenting himself with staring at her meaningfully as he continued his work. Gold Moon kept her eyes lowered, her face pale and troubled. The barbarian regrets having let himself go last night, Tannis realized. There is not much food, I'm afraid. Gold Moon said, tossing cereal into a pot of boiling water. Tika's larder wasn't well stocked, Tasselhoff added in apology. We've got a loaf of bread, some dried beef, half a moldy cheese, and the oatmeal. Tika must eat her meals out. Riverwind and I didn't bring any provisions, Gold Moon said. We really didn't expect to make this trip. Tannis was about to ask her more about her song and the staff, but the others started waking up as they smelled food. Caraman yawned, stretched, and stood up. Walking over to peer into the cookpot, he groaned. Oatmeal, is that all? There'll be less for dinner, Tasselhoff grinned. Tighten your belt. You're gaining weight anyhow. The big man sighed dismally. The sparse breakfast was cheerless in the cold dawn. Sturm, refusing all offers of food, went outside to keep watch. Tannis could see the night, sitting on a rock, staring gloomily at the dark clouds that trailed wispy fingers along the still water of the lake. Caraman ate his share of the food quickly, gulped down his brother's portion, and then appropriated Sturm's when the night walked out. Then. 
the big man sat watching wistfully while the rest finished. You gonna eat that? he asked, pointing to Flint's share of bread. The dwarf scowled. Tasselhoff, seeing the warrior's eyes roam over to his plate, crammed his bread into his mouth, nearly choking himself in the process. At least it kept him quiet, Tannis thought, glad for the respite from the kender's shrill voice. Tass had been teasing Flint unmercifully all morning, calling him sea master and shipmate, asking him the price of fish and how much he would charge to ferry them back across the lake. Flint finally threw a rock at him, and Tannis sent Tass down to the lake to scrub out the pans. The half-elf walked to the back of the cave. How are you this morning, Raislin? he asked. We're going to have to be moving out soon. I am much better, the mage replied in his soft, whispering voice. He was drinking some herbal concoction of his own making. Tannis could see small, feathery green leaves floating in steaming water. It gave off a bitter, acrid odor, and Raistlin grimaced as he swallowed it. Tasselhoff came bounding back into the cave, pots and tin plates clattering loudly. Tannis gritted his teeth at the noise, started to reprimand the kender, then changed his mind. It wouldn't do any good. Flint, seeing the tension on Tannis's face, grabbed the pots from the kender and began packing them away. Be serious, the dwarf hissed at Tasselhoff, or I'll take you by the topknot and tie you to a tree as a warning to all kender. Tass reached out and plucked something from the dwarf's beard. Look! The kender held it up gleefully. Seaweed! Flint, roaring, made a grab for the kender, but Tass skipped out of his way agilely. There was a rustling sound as Sturm shoved aside the brush covering the doorway. His face was dark and brooding. Stop this, Sturm said, glowering at Flint and Tass, his mustaches quivering. His dour gaze turned on Tannis. I could hear these two clear down by the lake. They'll have every goblin and crin on us. We've got to get out of here. Well, which way are we headed? An uneasy silence fell. Everyone stopped what he was doing and looked at Tannis, with the exception of Raistlin. The mage was wiping his cup out with a white cloth, cleaning it fastidiously. He continued working, eyes downcast, as though totally uninterested. Tannis sighed and scratched his beard. The theocrat in solace is corrupt. We know that now. He is using the goblin's scum to take control. If he had the staff, he would use it for his own profit. We've searched for a sign of the true gods for years. It seems we may have found one. I am not about to hand it over to that solace fraud. Tika said she believed the High Seekers in Haven were still interested in the truth. They may be able to tell us about the staff, where it came from, what its powers are. Tass, give me the map. The kender, spilling the contents of several pouches onto the floor, finally produced the parchment requested. We are here, on the west bank of Crystalmere, Tannis continued. 
North and south of us are branches of the Carolus Mountains which form the boundaries of Solus Vale. There are no known passes through either range, except through Gateway Pass south of Solus. Almost certainly held by the goblins, muttered Sturm. There are passes at the northeast. That's across the lake, Flint said in horror. Yes. Tannis kept a straight face. Across the lake. But those lead to the plains, and I don't believe you want to go that direction. He glanced at Gold Moon and Riverwind. The west road goes through the Sentinel Peaks and Shadow Canyon to Haven. That seems to me the obvious direction to take. Sturm frowned. And if the High Seekers there are as bad as the one in Solace? Then we continue south to Qualanesti. Qualanesti? Riverwind scowled. The elven lands? No. Humans are forbidden to enter. Besides, the way is hidden. A rasping, hissing sound cut into the discussion. Everyone turned to face Raistlin as he spoke. There is a way. His voice was soft and mocking. His golden eyes glittered in the cold light of dawn. The paths of darkened wood, they lead right to Qualanesti. Darkened wood? Caramon repeated in alarm. No, Tannis. The warrior shook his head. I'll fight the living any day of the week, but not the dead. The dead? Tasselhoff asked eagerly. Tell me, Caramon. Shut up, Tass. Sturm snapped. Darken Wood is madness. None who enter have ever returned. You would have us take this prize there, mage? Hold. Tannis spoke sharply. Everyone fell silent. Even Sturm quieted. The knight looked at Tannis's calm, thoughtful face the almond-shaped eyes that held the wisdom of his many years of wandering. The knight had often tried to resolve within himself why he accepted Tannis's leadership. He was nothing more than a bastard half-elf, after all. He did not come of noble blood. He wore no armor, carried no shield with a proud emblem, yet Sturm followed him, and loved him, and respected him as he respected no other living man. Life was a dark shroud to the Solamnic Knight. He could not pretend to ever know or understand it, except through the code of the knights he lived by. Est sulorus othmithas. My honor is life. The code defined honor and was more complete and detailed and strict than any known on Crin. The code had held true for seven hundred years, but Sturm's secret fear was that some day in the final battle, the code would have no answers. He knew that if that day came, Tannis would be at his side, holding the crumbling world together, for while Sturm followed the code, Tannis lived it. Tannis's voice brought the knight's thoughts back to the present. I remind all of you that this staff is not our prize. The staff rightfully belongs to Gold Moon, if it belongs to anyone. 
We have no more right to it than the theocrat and solace. Tannis turned to Gold Moon. What is your will, lady? Gold Moon stared from Tannis to Sturm. Then she looked at Riverwind. You know my mind, he said coldly. But you are Chieftain's daughter. He rose to his feet, ignoring her pleading gaze. He stalked outside. What did he mean? Tannis asked. He wants us to leave you. Take the staff to Haven, Gold Moon answered, her voice low. He says you are adding to our danger. We would be safer on our own. Adding to your danger? Flint exploded. Why, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have nearly drowned. Again, if it hadn't been for... for... The dwarf began to sputter in his rage. Tannis held up his hand. Enough. He scratched his beard. You will be safer with us. Will you accept our help? I will, Gold Moon answered gravely. For a short distance, at least. Good, Tannis said. Tass, you know your way through Solace Vale. You are our guide, and remember, we're not on a picnic. Yes, Tannis, the Kender said, subdued. He gathered his many pouches, hung them around his waist and over his shoulders. Passing Gold Moon, he knelt swiftly and patted her hand. Then he was out the cave entrance. The rest hastily gathered their gear together and followed. It's going to rain again, Flint grumbled, glancing up at the lowering clouds. I should have stayed in solace. Muttering, he walked off, adjusting his battle axe on his back. Tannis, waiting for gold moon and river wind, smiled and shook his head. At least some things never changed, dwarves among them. Riverwind took their packs from Gold Moon and slung them over his shoulder. I have made certain the boat is well hidden and secure, he told Tannis. The stoic mask was in place again this morning. In case we need it. A good idea, Tannis said. Thank, if you will go ahead. Riverwind motioned. I will come behind and cover our tracks. Tannis started to speak, to thank the plainsman, but Riverwind had already turned his back and was beginning his work. Walking up the path, the half-elf shook his head. Behind him, he could hear Gold Moon speaking softly in her own language. Riverwind replied, one harsh word. Tannis heard Gold Moon sigh, then all other words were lost in the sound of crackling brush, as river wind obliterated all traces of their passing. Chapter 7 The Story of the Staff Strange Clerics Eerie Feelings The thick woods of Solace Vale were a green mass of vibrant life. Beneath the dense roof of the Valenwoods flourished thistlebrush and greenwall. 
The ground was crisscrossed with the bothersome tangle-shoot vines. These had to be trod on with great care, or they would suddenly snake around an angle, trapping the helpless victim until he was devoured by one of the many predatory animals lurking in the vale, thus providing tangle-shoot with what it needed to live. Blood It took over an hour of hacking and chopping through the brush to get to the haven road, all of them were scratched, torn, and tired, and the long stretch of smooth-packed dirt that carried travelers to Haven or beyond was a welcome sight. It wasn't until they stopped just in sight of the road and rested that they realized there were no sounds. A hush had fallen over the land, as if every creature were holding its breath, waiting. Now that they had reached the road, no one was particularly eager to step out of the shelter of the brush. Do you think it's safe? Caraman asked, peering through a hedge. Safe or not, it's the way we have to go, Tanis snapped. Unless you can fly, or unless you want to go back into the forest. It took us an hour to travel a few hundred yards. We ought to reach the crossroads next week at that pace. The big man flushed, chagrined. I didn't mean. I'm sorry. Tannis sighed. He too looked down the road. The Valen Woods formed a dark corridor in the gray light. I don't like it any better than you do. Do we separate or stay together? Sturm interrupted what he considered idle chatter with cold practicality. We stay together, Tannis replied. Then, after a moment, he added, Still, someone ought to scout. I will, Tannis. Tass volunteered, popping out of the bush beneath Tannis's elbow. No one would ever suspect a kender traveling alone. Tannis frowned. Tass was right. No one would suspect him. Kender were all afflicted with wanderlust, traveling throughout Crin in search of adventure. But, Tass had the disconcerting habit of forgetting his mission and wandering off if something more interesting caught his attention. Very well, Tannis said finally, but remember, Tasselhoff Burfoot, keep your eyes open and your wits about you. No roaming off the road and above all. Tannis fixed the Kender's eye with his own sternly. Keep your hands out of other people's belongings. Unless they're bakers, Caraman added. Tass giggled, pushed his way through the final few feet of brush, and started down the road, his hoopack staff digging holes in the mud, his pouches jouncing up and down as he walked. They heard his little voice in a kender trail song. Your one true love's a sailing ship that anchors at our pier. We lift her sails, we man her decks, we scrub the portholes clear. And yes, our lighthouse shines for her, and yes, our shores are warm. We steer her into harbor, any port in a storm. The sailors stand upon the docks, the sailors stand in line, as thirsty as a dwarf for gold or centaurs for cheap wine. For all the sailors love her and flock to where she's moored, each man hoping that he might go down all hands on board. Tannis 
grinning, allowed a few minutes to pass after hearing the last verse of Tass's song before starting out. Finally, they stepped out on the road with as much fear as a troop of unskilled actors facing a hostile audience. It felt as if every eye on Crin was on them. The deep shade under the flame-colored leaves made it impossible to see anything in the woods, even a few feet from the road. Sturm walked ahead of the group, alone, in bitter silence. Tannis knew that though the knight held his head proudly, he was slogging through his own darkness. Caramon and Raistlin followed. Tannis kept his eyes on the mage, concerned about his ability to keep up. Raistlin had experienced some difficulty in getting through the brush, but he was moving along well now. He leaned on his staff with one hand, holding open a book with the other. Tannis at first wondered what the mage was studying, then realized it was his spellbook. It was the curse of the magi that they must constantly study and recommit their spells to memory every day. The words of magic flame in the mind then flicker and die when the spell is cast. Each spell burns up some of the magician's physical and mental energy until he is totally exhausted and must rest before he can use his magic again. Flint stumped along on the other side of Caraman. The two began to argue softly about the ten-year-old boating accident. Trying to catch fish with your bare hands! Flint grumbled in disgust. Tannis came last, walking next to the plainsman. He turned his attention to Gold Moon, Seeing her clearly in the flecked gray light beneath the trees, he noticed lines around her eyes that made her appear older than her twenty-nine years. Our lives have not been easy, Gold Moon confided to him as they walked. Riverwind and I have loved each other many years. But it is the law of my people that a warrior who wants to marry his chieftain's daughter must perform some great feat to prove himself worthy. It was worse with us. Riverwind's family was cast out of our tribe years ago for refusing to worship our ancestors. His grandfather believed in ancient gods who had existed before the cataclysm, though he could find little evidence of them left on Crin. My father was determined I should not marry so far beneath my station. He sent Riverwind on an impossible quest to find some object with holy properties that would prove the existence of these ancient gods. Of course, my father didn't believe such an object existed. He hoped Riverwind would meet his death, or that I would come to love another. She looked up at the tall warrior, walking beside her, and smiled. But his face was hard, his eyes staring far away. Her smile faded. Sighing, she continued her story, speaking softly, more to herself than Tannis. Riverwind was gone long years, and my life was empty. I sometimes thought my heart would die. Then, just a week ago, he returned. He was half dead, out of his mind with a raging fever. He stumbled into camp and fell at my feet, 
his skin burning to the touch. In his hand he clutched this staff. We had to pry his fingers loose. Even unconscious, he would not release it. He raved in his fever about a dark place, a broken city, where death had black wings. Then, when he was nearly wild with fear and terror, and the servants had to tie his arms to the bed, he remembered a woman, a woman dressed in blue light. She came to him in the dark place, he said, and healed him and gave him the staff. When he remembered her, he grew calmer and his fever broke. Two days ago, she paused. Had it really only been two days, it seemed a lifetime. Sighing, she continued. He presented the staff to my father, telling him it had been given to him by a goddess, though he did not know her name. My father looked at this staff. Gold Moon held it up and commanded it to do something, anything. Nothing happened. He threw it back to Riverwind, proclaiming him a fraud, and ordered the people to stone him to death as punishment for his blasphemy. Gold Moon's face grew pale as she spoke. Riverwind's face dark and shadowed. The tribe bound Riverwind and dragged him to the grieving wall, she said, barely speaking above a whisper. They started hurling rocks. He looked at me with so much love, and he shouted that not even death would separate us. I couldn't bear the thought of living my life alone without him. I ran to him. The rocks struck us. Gold Moon put her hand to her forehead, wincing in remembered pain, and Tannis's attention was drawn to a fresh, jagged scar on her tanned skin. There was a blinding flash of light. When Riverwind and I could see again, we were standing on the road outside of Solace. The staff glowed blue, then dimmed and faded until it is as you see it now. It was then we determined to go to Haven and ask the wise men at the temple about this staff. Riverwind, Tannis asked, troubled, What do you remember of this broken city? Where was it? Riverwind didn't answer. He glanced at Tannis, out of the corner of his dark eyes, and it was obvious his thoughts had been far away. Then he stared off into the shadowy trees. Tanis half-elven, he said finally. That is your name? Among humans, that is what I am called. Tanis answered. My elvish name is long and difficult for humans to pronounce. Riverwind frowned. Why is it, he asked, that you are called half-elf and not half-man? The question struck Tannis like a blow across the face. He could almost envision himself sprawling in the dirt and had to force himself to stop and swallow an angry retort. He knew Riverwind was asking this question for a reason. It had not been meant as an insult. This was a test, Tannis realized. He chose his words carefully. According to the humans, 
Half an elf is but part of a whole being. Half a man is a cripple. Riverwind considered this, finally nodded once abruptly, and answered Tanis's question. I wandered many long years, he replied. Often I had no idea where I was. I followed the sun and the moons and the stars. My last journey is like a dark dream. He was silent for a moment. When he spoke, it was as if he were talking from some great distance. It was a city once beautiful, with white buildings supported by tall columns of marble. But it is now as if some great hand had picked up the city and cast it down a mountainside. The city is now very old and very evil. Death on black wings, Tanis said softly. It rose like a god from the darkness. Its creatures worshipped it, shrieking and howling. The plainsman's face paled beneath his sun-baked skin. He was sweating in the chill morning air. I can speak of it no more. Goldmoon laid her hand on his arm, and the tension in his face eased. And out of the horror came a woman who gave you the staff. Tanis pursued. She healed me. Riverwind said simply, I was dying. Tanis stared intently at the staff Goldmoon held in her hand. It was just a plain, ordinary staff that he never noticed until his attention was called to it. A strange device was carved on the top, and feathers, such as the barbarians admire, were tied around it. Yet, he had seen it glow blue. He had felt its healing powers. Was this a gift from ancient gods come to aid them in their time of need? Or was it evil? What did he know of these barbarians anyway? Tanis thought about Raceland's claim that the staff could only be touched by those pure of heart. He shook his head. It sounded good. He wanted to believe it. Tanis, lost in thought, felt Gold Moon touch his arm. He looked up to see Sturm and Caraman signaling. The half-elf suddenly realized he and the plainsmen had fallen far behind the others. He broke into a run. What is it? Sturm pointed. The scout returns, he said dryly. Tasselhoff was running down the road toward them. He waved his arms three times. Into the brush, Tanis ordered. The group hurriedly left the road and plunged into the bushes and scrub trees growing along the south edge, all except Sturm. Come on! Tanis put his hand on the knight's arm. Sturm pulled away from the half-elf. I will not hide in a ditch, the knight stated coldly. Sturm! Tanis began fighting to control his rising anger. He choked back bitter words that would do no good and might cause irreparable harm. Instead, he turned from the knight, his lips compressed, and waited in grim silence for the kender.
Tass came dashing up, pouches and packs bouncing wildly as he ran. Clerics! he gasped. A party of clerics! Eight! Sturm sniffed. I thought it was a battalion of goblin guards at least. I believe we can handle a party of clerics. I don't know, Tasselhoff said dubiously. I've seen clerics from every part of Kryn, and I've never seen any like these. He glanced down the road apprehensively, then gazed up at Tannis, unusual seriousness in his brown eyes. Do you remember what Tika said about the strange men in Solace, hanging around with Hedrick? How they were hooded and dressed in heavy robes? Well, that describes these clerics exactly, and Tannis, they gave me an eerie feeling. The Kender shuddered. They'll be in sight in a few moments. Tannis glanced at Sturm. The knight raised his eyebrows. Both of them knew that Kenders did not feel the emotion of fear, yet were extremely sensitive to other creatures' natures. Tannis couldn't remember when the sight of any being on Kryn had ever given Tass an eerie feeling, and he had been with the Kender in some tight spots. Here they come, Tannis said suddenly. He and Sturm and Tass moved back into the shadows of the trees to the left, watching as the clerics slowly rounded a bend in the road. They were too far away for the half-elf to be able to tell much about them, except that they were moving very slowly, dragging a large handcart behind them. Maybe you should talk to them, Sturm, Tannis said softly. We need information about the road ahead, but be careful, my friend. I'll be careful, Sturm said, smiling. I have no intention of throwing my life away needlessly. The knight gripped Tannis's arm a moment in silent apology, then dropped his hand to loosen his sword in its antique scabbard. He walked across to the other side of the road and leaned up against a broken-down wooden fence, head bowed as though resting. Tannis stood a moment, irresolute, then turned and made his way through the brush, Tasselhoff at his heels. What is it? Caraman grunted as Tannis and Tass appeared. The big warrior shifted his girth, causing his arsenal of weapons to clank loudly. The rest of the companions were huddled together, concealed behind thick clumps of brush, yet able to get a clear view of the road. Hush! Tannis knelt down between Caraman and Riverwind, who crouched in the brush a few feet to Tannis's left. Clerics! he whispered. A group of them coming down the road. Sturm's going to question them. Clerics! Caraman snorted derisively and settled back comfortably on his heels. But Raistland stirred, restlessly. Clerics! He whispered thoughtfully, I do not like this. What do you mean? asked Tannis. Raistland peered at the half-elf from the dark shadows of his hood. All Tannis could see were the mage's golden hourglass eyes, narrow slits of cunning and intelligence. Strange clerics. Raceland spoke with elaborate patience as one speaks to a child. The staff has healing 
clerical powers, such powers as had not been seen on Crin since the cataclysm. Caraman and I saw some of these cloaked and hooded men in solace. Don't you find it odd, my friend, that these clerics and this staff turned up at the same time, in the same place, when neither has been seen before? Perhaps this staff is truly theirs, by right. Tannis glanced at Gold Moon. Her face was shadowed with worry. Surely she must be wondering the same thing. He looked back at the road again. The cloaked figures were moving at a crawling pace, pulling the cart. Sturm sat on the fence, stroking his mustaches. The companions waited in silence. Gray clouds massed overhead. The sky grew darker, and soon water began to drip through the branches of the trees. There, it's raining. Flint grumbled. It isn't enough that I have to squat in a bush like a toad. Now I get soaked to the skin. Tannis glared at the dwarf. Flint mumbled and fell silent. Soon the companions could hear nothing but the rain splattering against the already wet leaves, drumming on shield and helm. It was a cold, steady rain, the kind that seeps through the thickest cloak. It ran off Caraman's dragon helm and trickled down his neck. Raceland began to shiver and cough, covering his mouth with his hand to muffle the sound as everyone stared at him in alarm. Tannis looked out to the road. Like Tass, he had never seen anything to compare to these clerics in his hundred years of life on Crin. They were tall, about six feet in height. Long robes shrouded their bodies, hooded cloaks covered the robes, even their feet and hands were wrapped in cloth like bandages covering leprous wounds. As they neared Sturm, they glanced around warily. One of them stared straight into the bush where the companions were hiding. They could see only dark, glittering eyes through a swath of cloth. Hail! Knight of Solamnia, the lead cleric said in the common tongue. His voice was hollow, lisping, an inhuman voice. Tanis shivered. Greetings, brethren, Sturm answered, also in common. I have traveled many miles this day, and you are the first travelers I have passed. I have heard strange rumors, and I seek information about the road ahead. Where do you come from? We come from the east originally, the cleric answered, but today we travel from Haven. It is a chill, bitter day for journeying night, which is perhaps why you find the road empty. We ourselves would not undertake such a journey save we are driven by necessity. We did not pass you on the road, so you must be traveling from Solace, Sir Knight. Sturm nodded. Several of the clerics standing at the rear of the cart turned their hooded faces toward each other, muttering. The lead cleric spoke to them in a strange, guttural language. Tannis looked at his companions. Tasselhoff shook his head, as did the rest of them. None of them had heard it before. The cleric 
switched back to Carmen. I am curious to hear these rumors you speak of, Knight. There is talk of armies in the north, Sturm replied. I am traveling that way, to my homeland of Salamnia. I would not want to run into a war to which I had not been invited. We have not heard these rumors, the cleric answered. So far as we know, the road to the north is clear. Ah, that's what comes of listening to drunken companions, Sturm shrugged. But what is this necessity you speak of that drives the brethren out into such foul weather? We seek a staff, the cleric answered readily, a blue crystal staff. We heard that it had been sighted in solace. Do you know aught of it? Yes, Sturm answered. I heard of such a staff in solace. I heard of the armies to the north from the same companions. Am I to believe these stories or not? This appeared to confound the cleric for a moment. He glanced around, as if uncertain how to act. Tell me, said Sturm, lounging back against the fence. Why do you seek a blue crystal staff? Surely one of plain, sturdy wood would suit you reverend gentlemen better. It is a sacred staff of healing, the cleric replied gravely. One of our brothers is sorely ill. He will die without the blessed touch of this holy relic. Healing? Sturm raised his eyebrows. A sacred staff of healing would be of great value. How did you come to misplace such a rare and wonderful object? We did not misplace it, the cleric snarled. Tannis saw the man's rapt hands clench in anger. It was stolen from our holy order. We tracked the foul thief to our barbarian village in the plains, then lost his trail. There are rumors of strange doings in Saurus, however, and it is there we go. He gestured back to the cart. This dismal journey is but little sacrifice for us compared to the pain and agony our brother endures. I'm afraid I cannot help. Sturm began. I can help you, called a clear voice from beside Tannis. He reached out, but it was too late. Gold Moon had risen from the brush and was walking determinedly to the road, pushing aside tree branches and brambles. Riverwind jumped to his feet and crashed through the shrubbery after her. Gold Moon! Tannis risked a piercing whisper. I must know, was all she said. The clerics, hearing Gold Moon's voice, glanced at each other knowingly, nodding their hooded heads. Tannis sensed trouble, but before he could say anything, Caraman jumped to his feet. The plainsmen are not leaving me behind in a ditch while they have all the fun, Caraman stated, plunging through the thicket after Riverwind. Has everyone gone mad? Tannis growled. He grabbed Tasselhoff by his shirt collar, dragging the kender back as he was about to leap joyfully after Caraman. Flint! Watch the kender! Raislin! No need to worry about me, Tannis, the mage whispered. I have no intention of going out there. Right. Well, stay here, 
Tannis rose to his feet and slowly started forward, an eerie feeling creeping over him. Chapter 8 Search for Truth Unexpected Answers I can help you. Gold Moon's clear voice rang out like a pure silver bell. The chieftain's daughter saw Sturm's shocked face. She understood Tannis's warning. But this was not the act of a foolish, hysterical woman. Gold Moon was far from that. She had ruled her tribe in all but name for ten years, ever since sickness had struck her father like a lightning bolt, leaving him unable to speak clearly, or to move his right arm and leg. She had led her people in times of war with neighboring tribes and in times of peace. She had confounded attempts to wrest her power from her. She knew that what she was doing now was dangerous. These strange clerics filled her with loathing. But they obviously knew something about this staff, and she had to know the answer. I am the bearer of the blue crystal staff, Gold Moon said, approaching the leader of the clerics, her head held proudly. But we did not steal it. The staff was given to us. River Wind stepped to one side of her, Sturm to the other. Caraman came charging through the brush and stood behind her, his hand on his sword-hilt, an eager grin on his face. So you say, the cleric said in a soft, sneering voice. He stared at the plain brown staff in her hand with avid, black, gleaming eyes, then reached out his wrapped hand to take it. Gold Moon swiftly clasped the staff to her body. This staff was carried out of a place of great evil, she said. I will do what I can to help your dying brother, but I will not relinquish this staff to you or to anyone else until I am firmly convinced of your rightful claim to it. The cleric hesitated, glanced back at his fellows. Tannis saw them make nervous, tentative gestures toward the wide cloth belts they wore tied around their flowing robes. Unusually wide belts, Tannis noticed, with strange bulges beneath them, not, he was sure, made by prayer books. He swore in frustration, wishing Sturm and Caraman were paying attention, but Sturm seemed completely relaxed, and Caraman was nudging him as though sharing a private joke. Tannis raised his bow cautiously and put an arrow to the string. The cleric finally bowed his head in submission, folding his hands in his sleeves. We will be grateful for whatever aid you can give our poor brother, he said, his voice muffled. And then I hope you and your companions will return with us to Haven. I promise you that you will be convinced that the staff has come into your possession wrongly. We'll go where we've a mind to, brother, Caraman growled. Fool, Tannis thought. The half-elf considered shouting a warning, then decided to remain hidden in case his growing fears were realized. Gold Moon and the leader of the cloaked men passed the cart, River Wind next to her. 
Caraman and Sturm remained near the front of it, watching with interest. As Gold Moon and the cleric reached the back, the cleric put out a wrapped hand and drew Gold Moon toward the cart. She pulled away from his touch and stepped forward by herself. The cleric bowed, humbly, then lifted up a cloth covering the back of the cart. Holding the staff in front of her, Gold Moon peered in. Tannis saw a flurry of movement. Gold Moon screamed. There was a flash of blue light and a cry. Gold Moon sprang backward as Riverwind jumped in front of her. The cleric lifted a horn to his lips and blew long, wailing notes. Caraman, Sturm, Tannis called, raising his bow. It's a trap! A great weight dropped on the half-elf from above, knocking him to the ground. Strong hands groped for his throat, shoving his face deep into the wet leaves and mud. The man's fingers found their hold and began squeezing. Tannis fought to breathe, but his nose and mouth were filled with mud. Seeing starbursts, he tore frantically at the hands that were trying to crush his windpipe. The man's grip was incredibly strong. Tannis felt himself losing consciousness. He tensed his muscles for one final, desperate struggle. Then he heard a hoarse cry and a bone-crushing thump. The hands relaxed their grip, and the heavy weight was dragged off him. Tannis staggered to his knees, his breath coming in painful gasps. Wiping mud from his face, he looked up to see Flint with a log in his hand. But the dwarf's eyes were not on him, they were on the body at his feet. Tannis followed the astonished dwarf's gaze, and the half-elf recoiled in horror. It wasn't a man. Leathery wings sprang from its back. It had the scaly flesh of a reptile. Its large hands and feet were clawed, but it walked upright in the manner of men. The creature wore sophisticated armor that allowed it the use of its wings. It was the creature's face, however, that made him shudder. It was not the face of any living being he had ever seen before, either on Kryn or in his darkest nightmares. The creature had the face of a man, but it was as if some malevolent being had twisted it into that of a reptile. By all the gods, Raistlin breathed, creeping up to Tannis. What is that? Before Tannis could answer, he saw out of the corner of his eye a brilliant flash of blue light, and he heard Gold Moon calling. For one instant, as Gold Moon had looked into the cart, she had wondered what terrible disease could turn a man's flesh into scales. She had moved forward to touch the pitiful cleric with her staff. But at that moment the creature sprang out at her, grasping for the staff with a clawed hand. Gold Moon stumbled backward, but the creature was swift, and its clawed hand closed around the staff. There was a blinding flash of blue light. The creature shrieked in pain and fell back, wringing its blackened hand. Riverwind, sword drawn, had leaped in front of his chieftain's daughter. But now she heard him gasp, and she saw his sword arm drop weakly. He staggered backward, making no effort to defend himself. Rough, wrapped hands grabbed her from behind, a horrible scaled hand was clapped over her mouth. Struggling to free herself, she caught a glimpse of river wind. 
He was staring, wide-eyed, in terror at the thing in the cart, his face deathly white, his breathing swift and shallow. A man who wakes from a nightmare to discover it is reality. Gold Moon, strong child of a warrior race, kicked backward at the cleric holding her, her foot aiming for his knee. Her skillful kick caught her opponent off guard and crushed his kneecap. The instant the cleric eased his grip on her, Gold Moon whirled around and struck him with her staff. She was amazed to see the cleric slump to the ground, seemingly felled by a blow even the mighty Caraman might have envied. She looked at her staff in astonishment, the staff that now glowed a bright blue. But there was no time to wonder. Other creatures surrounded her. She swung her glistening staff in a wide arc, holding them at bay. But for how long? Riverwind! Gold Moon's cry woke the plainsman from his terror. Turning, he saw her backing into the forest, keeping the cloaked clerics away with the staff. He grabbed one of the clerics from behind and threw him heavily to the ground. Another jumped at him while a third sprang toward Gold Moon. There was a blinding blue flash. A moment ahead of Tannis's cry, Sturm had realized the clerics had set a trap and drew his sword. He had seen through the slats of the old wooden cart, a clawed hand grabbing for the staff. Lunging forward, he had gone to back up Riverwind, but the knight was totally unprepared for the plainsman's reaction at sight of the creature in the cart. Sturm saw Riverwind stagger backward, helpless, as the creature grabbed a battle-axe in its uninjured hand and sprang directly at the barbarian. Riverwind made no move to defend himself, he just stared, his weapon dangling in his hand. Sturm plunged his sword into the creature's back. The thing screamed and whirled around to attack, wrenching the sword from the knight's hand. Slavering and gurgling in its dying rage, the creature wrapped its arms around the startled knight and bore him into the muddy road. Sturm knew the thing that grasped him was dying and fought to beat down the terror and revulsion he felt at the touch of its slimy skin. The screaming stopped, and he felt the creature go rigid. The knight shoved the body over and quickly started to pull his sword from the creature's back. The weapon didn't budge. He stared at it in disbelief, then yanked on the sword with all his might, even putting his booted foot against the body to gain leverage. The weapon was stuck fast. Furious, he beat at the creature with his hands, then drew back in fear and loathing. The thing had turned to stone. Caraman! Sturm yelled as another of the strange clerics leaped toward him, swinging an axe. Sturm ducked, felt a slashing pain, and then was blinded when blood flowed into his eyes. He stumbled, unable to see, and a crushing weight bore him to the ground. Caraman, standing near the front of the cart, started to go to Gold Moon's aid when he heard Sturm's cry. Then two of the creatures bore down on him, swinging his short sword to force them to keep their distance. Caraman drew his dagger with his left hand. One cleric jumped for him, and Caraman slashed out, his blade biting deep into flesh. He smelled a foul, rotting stench, 
and saw a sickly green stain appear on the cleric's robes, but the wound appeared just to enrage the creature. It kept coming, saliva dripping from jaws that were jaws of a reptile, not a man. For a moment, panic engulfed Caraman. He had fought trolls and goblins, but these horrible clerics completely unnerved him. He felt lost and alone. Then he heard a reassuring whisper next to him. I am here, my brother. Raceland's calm voice filled his mind. About time, Caraman gasped, threatening the creature with his sword. What sort of foul clerics are these? Don't stab them, Raceland warned swiftly. They'll turn to stone. They're not clerics. They are some sort of reptile man. That is the reason for the robes and hoods. Though different as light and shadow, the twins fought well as a team. They exchanged few words during battle, their thoughts merging faster than tongues could translate. Caraman dropped his sword and dagger and flexed his huge arm muscles. The creatures, seeing Caraman drop his weapons, charged forward. Their rags had fallen loose and fluttered about them grotesquely. Caraman grimaced at the sight of the scaled bodies and clawed hands. Ready, he said to his brother. Astasark, Semiralan, Krinawi, said Raceland softly, and he threw a handful of sand into the air. The creatures stopped their wild rush, shook their heads groggily, as magical sleep stole over them. But then blinked their eyes. Within moments they had regained their senses and started forward again. Magic resistant, Raceland murmured in awe. But that brief interlude of near sleep was long enough for Caraman. Encircling their scrawny reptilian necks with his huge hands, the warrior swept their heads together. The bodies tumbled to the ground, lifeless statues. Caraman looked up to see two more clerics crawling over the stony bodies of their brethren, curved swords gleaming in their wrapped hands. Stand behind me, ordered Raceland in a hoarse whisper. Caraman reached down and grabbed dagger and sword. He dodged behind his brother, fearful for his twin's safety, yet knowing Raceland could not cast his spell if he stood in the way. Raceland stared intently at the creatures, who, recognizing a magic user, slowed and glanced at each other, hesitant to approach. One dropped to the ground and crawled under the cart. The other sprang forward, sword in hand, hoping to impale the mage before his spell was cast, or at least break the concentration that was so necessary to the spellcaster. Caraman bellowed. Raceland seemed not to hear or see any of them. Slowly he raised his hands. Placing his thumbs together, he spread his thin fingers in a fan-like pattern and spoke. Kertangus miopiar. Magic coursed through his frail body, and the creature was engulfed in flame. Tanis Recovering from his initial shock, heard Sturm's yell and crashed through the brush, out onto the road. He swung the flat of his sword blade like a club and struck the creature that had Sturm pinned to the ground. The cleric fell over with a shriek, 
and Tanis was able to drag the wounded knight into the brush. My sword! Sturm mumbled, dazed. Blood poured down his face. He tried unsuccessfully to wipe it away. We'll get it, Tanis promised, wondering how. Looking down the road, he could see more creatures swarming out of the woods and heading toward them. Tanis's mouth was dry. We've got to get out of here, he thought, fighting down panic. He forced himself to pause and draw a deep breath. Then he turned to Flint and Tasselhoff, who had run up behind him. Stay here and guard Sturm, he instructed. I'm going to get everyone together. We'll head back into the woods. Not waiting for an answer, Tanis dashed out into the road, but then the flames from Raistland's spell flared out, and he was forced to fling himself to the ground. The cart began to smoke as the straw pallet the creature had been lying on inside caught fire. Stay here and guard Sturm, humph, Flint muttered, getting a firm grip on his battle axe. For the moment, the creatures coming down the road did not seem to notice the dwarf or the kender or the wounded knight lying in the shadows of the trees. Their attention was on the two small knots of battling warriors, but Flint knew it was only a matter of time. He planted his feet more firmly. Do something for Sturm, he said to Tass irritably. Make yourself useful for once. I'm trying, Tasselhoff replied in a hurt tone. But I can't get the bleeding stopped. He wiped the knight's eyes with a moderately clean handkerchief. There, can you see now? He asked anxiously. Sturm groaned and tried to sit up, but pain flashed through his head and he sank back. My sword, he said. Tasselhoff looked over to see Sturm's two-handed weapon sticking out of the back of the stone cleric. That's fantastic. The wide-eyed Kender said, Look, Flint, Sturm's sword. I know you fog-brained idiot, Kender. Flint roared as he saw a creature running toward them, its blade drawn. I'll just go get it, Tass said cheerfully to Sturm as he knelt beside him. I won't be a moment. No, Flint yelled, realizing the attacking cleric was out of Tass's line of vision. The creature's wicked, curved sword lashed out in a flashing arc, aimed for the dwarf's neck. Flint swung his axe, but at that moment, Tasselhoff, his eyes on Sturm's sword, rose to his feet. The kinder's hoopak staff struck the dwarf in the back of the knees, causing Flint's legs to buckle beneath him. The creature's sword whistled harmlessly overhead as the dwarf gave a startled yell and fell over backward on top of Sturm. Tasselhoff, hearing the dwarf shout, looked back, astonished at an odd sight. A cleric was attacking Flint, and for some reason, the dwarf was lying on his back, legs flailing, when he should have been up fighting. What are you doing, Flint? Tass shouted. He nonchalantly struck the creature in the midsection with his hoopack, struck it again on the head as it toppled forward, and watched it fall to the ground, unconscious. There! he said irritably to Flint. Do I have to fight your battles for you? The kender turned and headed back toward Sturm's sword. Fight for me! The dwarf, sputtering with rage, struggled wildly to stand up. 
His helm had slipped over his eyes, blinding him. Flint shoved it back just as another cleric bowled into him, knocking the dwarf off his feet again. Tannis found Goldmoon and Riverwind standing back to back, Goldmoon fending off the creatures with her staff. Three of them lay dead at her feet, their stony remains blackened from the staff's blue flame. Riverwind's sword was caught fast in the guts of another statue. The plainsman had unslung his only remaining weapon, his shortbow, and had an arrow knocked and ready. The creatures were, for the moment, hanging back, discussing their strategy in low, indecipherable tones. Knowing they must rush the plainsmen in a moment, Tanis leaped toward them and smote one of the creatures from behind, using the flat of his sword, then made a backhand swing at another. Come on, he shouted to the plainsmen. This way! Some of the creatures turned at this new attack. Others hesitated. Riverwind fired an arrow and felled one. Then he grabbed Goldmoon's hand and together they ran toward Tanis, jumping over the stone bodies of their victims. Tanis let them get past, fending off the creatures with the flat of his sword. Here, take this dagger! He shouted to Riverwind as the barbarian ran by. Riverwind grabbed it, reversed it, and struck one of the creatures in the jaw, jabbing upward with the hilt. He broke its neck. There was another flash of blue flame as Gold Moon used her staff to knock another creature out of the way. Then they were in the woods. The wooden cart was burning, fiercely now. Peering through the smoke, Tanis caught glimpses of the road. A shiver ran through him as he saw dark, winged forms floating to the ground about a half-mile away on either side of them. The road was cut off in both directions. They were trapped unless they escaped into the woods immediately. He reached the place where he had left Sturm. Gold Moon and Riverwind were there, so was Flint. Where was everyone else? He stared around in the thick smoke, blinking back tears. Help Sturm, he told Gold Moon. Then he turned to Flint, who was trying unsuccessfully to yank his axe out of the chest of a stone creature. Where are Caraman and Raislin? And where's Tass? I told him to stay here. Blasted Kender nearly got me killed, Flint exploded. I hope they carry him off. I hope they use him for dog meat. I hope... In the name of the gods, Tanis swore in exasperation. He made his way through the smoke toward where he had last seen Caraman and Raislin, and stumbled across the kender, dragging Sturm's sword back along the road. The weapon was nearly as big as Tasselhoff, and he couldn't lift it, so he was dragging it through the mud. How did you get that? Tanis asked in amazement, coughing in the thick smoke that boiled around him.